just want to say, just want to say again, God, 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 oh, lovely, excellent, beautiful God in this place this morning, God, God all over us, God smothering us, God inside of us and outside of us and all around of us. We just say, you, God, you, God, in this place, you, God, inside of us, you, God, absolutely filling us and saturating us, you, God, you, God, you, God, oh, you, God, you, this morning, God, you, this morning, God, you, oh, you, God, you, God, you, Oh, you, God, you in this place, God, you, oh, you, God, you, you, God, oh, you, God, oh, God, oh, God, oh, oh, God, oh, God, again, your freshness, God. Your aliveness, your freshness, your aliveness, Lord. Oh, you, God. Oh, you, wonderful God, you, God. Last night as we were praying, I had a, the Lord showed me those, how they fuel those, those jets in the air now. So that those jets, can, they don't have to return to the aircraft carrier. They don't have to return to a base, but they just fuel them in the air. And I believe the Lord is saying that he's going to bring us all into a place where we just get fueled in the air. We don't have to land anymore. We just get fueled in the air. Oh, Lord, we love it when you refuel us. We love it, Lord. We love to drink of the water of heaven, Lord. We love to know the excellence of that place, Lord. We love that where we don't even have to return to earth to get strengthened and built up and refueled. But we just live in your presence, Lord, and we speak that over this place, Lord, that we are anxious and desirous and earnest to enter into a place where we're constantly refueled in the air. Oh, we bless you, living God. We bless you, wonderful God. We bless you, excellent God. And we look forward to all that you would, that you would refuel us with. Yes, Lord, we lift you up. We lift you up. We lift you up. Be lifted up. Be lifted up, Jesus, Son of God. We're going to shift right into our service as uh, people start to make their way in here. But, you know, uh, lifting the name of Jesus cannot be reduced to the simplicity of just saying the words, I lift you up. Because there's always a heart reality and there's always a heart capacity in the same way that the Pharisees, he said to them, he said, these people draw near to me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We too can have degrees of distance from God. And when we say, be lifted up, in as much as that's true, we lift him up. In as much as we don't need the glory, in as much as we're not actually continuously celebrating ourselves or looking for some, uh, some special esteem and some association that makes us higher than others, then when we say, be lifted up, he is lifted up. 
And I see that God is actually about to release a new generation of worshipers for whom this is true on a level the earth has never seen. Literally tens of thousands and thousands and thousands who have uh, decreased and have allowed him to increase in them. And their lives have begun to be a genuine manifestation of the grace and the majesty and the love of Jesus Christ. And Father, we say, God, we want that to be us. We want that to be our lives. Father, we say, be lifted up. Be lifted up. Be lifted up. I'm just reminded of the words from Acts where Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. And it reflects the words of Jesus who said, without me you can do nothing. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the grace that comes through the knowledge of our dependency upon you. That, Lord, we cannot take another breath without you. That in you we live, in move, Lord, that you are the very atmosphere. You sustain the very molecules that surround us, Lord. You hold all things together by the word of your power. We, even our beings, are held together by the word of God. We honor you. Holy God. Holy God. I feel this year God is wanting and going to distinguish between his strength and ours in that which we call the grace of God, in that which we call God's grace, which is truly God's enabling. It is the charis of God, from which we get the word charisma, charismata, the, the gifts, the charismatas of God are the manifestations of the abilities of God. And I want to declare today that this is the eternal truth concerning the charismas and the charis of God, that whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. But the strength of man will fade. It will flounder, it will fall, it will come to an end. The strength of man is finite. But the strength of God overcomes all. Set this in your heart today. That whatsoever is born of me overcomes the world. What comes from above overcomes the world. I will make a distinction between you and I, says the Lord between your strength and my strength, that you might be perfected not in your strength, but in my strength. Know this, that your strength will fail, but my strength, like my love, endures forever. 
By this you will know your strength and my strength, that which is depleted, that which runs out, that which has an end is your strength. And that which has no end is my strength. This is the year of my strength, says the Lord. This is the year of my grace. This is the year when the hearts of my people will become solely attached to my strengths. This is the year. This is the year when my people will find rest, for they will find a power at work in themselves that is greater than anything they've ever seen before. This is why my servant said, I must decrease, but he must increase. My aim, my sons and daughters, has always been that that which I put in you when you became born again, that divine impartation would be the core of your being, the core of your life, that you would begin to orient around the deposit of God, which endures forever. The grace of God, the seed of the word of God. This is what is in you. In this year I shall bring a sword that separates the one from the other. No more gray area. No more, no more confusion. No more confusion. That which is born of me will overcome. Have you made a covenant? Have you committed? Have you said, I shall, and you did not? This was your strength at work. I'm telling you, I am offering a plateau of grace. There is literally, literally... A plateau. I can see it now. There's a plane. Suddenly this year, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers who struggled with this sin and that sin and this thing and that thing are going to suddenly come into a place of grace. A place where they see it's not me, it's God. It's not me, it's God, it's not my commitment, it's not my strength, it's God, it has always been God. And you will see it. This year. So a little bit ago, I was, I was <laughs> sounds crazy. I was floating in the magma below the crust of the earth and seeing tectonic plates and this question percolating in me going, can these plates move? And I'm, first of all, I'm thinking, that's okay, I'll just go with it then. And I see the plates start to move and putting hands on plates and, and plates starting to move. And it starts making me think about the liquid layer of magma below the crust. And it's called the mantle. If you didn't know, I had to look it up. And it's way, way deeper than the crust of the earth. Way deeper. Over 2,200 kilometers deep of just liquid rolling 
burning magma. And it's called the mantle. And I started to see just flashes really quickly of how does the geography of the earth change? It changes where there are fissures, cracks, ruptures in the things that we know and hold to be true. The things that we believe to be permanent and unchanging. But then magma comes through and it changes everything. It changes the topography, it changes the layout, it changes biology, it changes habitats. Like how many people remember Mount St. Helens? Everything changes when the magma and the mantle starts to roll. And so I just feel this churning to believe the geography of our lives is not fixed and sure and this is the way we're gotta be and we're locked in. It's not that way. In a moment, things change. In a moment, the mantle overrules everything that we've known. And I just feel this, this surging to just say, yes, God, I believe you. I believe you. Renew my faith. Renew my hope that things can change. Remo uh, renew my hope. I believe, God. And I start to see possibilities of cities where there were no cities. Ports where there were no ports. New opportunities, new developments, changes in who you are. Breakthroughs in things that have been solid for decades and generations. Dare to believe. Let your heart be stirred. Let the deep places in us be stirred, O oh God. Let our mantle, God, be stirred. Let grace be stirred in us, God, so that we respond to your spirit. God, change who we are in the deep places. Change our being, God. Change the surface of who we are, God. Stir the deep places. Stir the deep places, God. Break through our hard, crusty areas, God. Break through those long generational things that have held us, oh God. Let your spirit roll, God. Let your spirit roll, oh God. Let's just finish off the worship with this sense of... Uh of calling these things into our own lives. The, these are the words that I, I heard that I feel are so significant. The geography of your life is not set. I mean, this the geography of your life is not set. It seems maybe at times to be immovable. It seems like there are some things that cannot change. But the Spirit of God is saying, listen... There's a force that's beneath that thing that seems like it cannot change, that can change everything. And it, maybe it'll take some forces at work, some pressures at work to break the crustiness of the geography of your life right now. Let me do that so that that new thing that's inside can begin to emerge. And maybe this is what this trial, maybe this is what these hardships have really been about, have been to break those fixed things in your life in order that the new life might break forth. I mean, we know actually that is a kingdom principle, but it's specifically applied to your life today. Begin to, begin to apprehend that for yourself. Say, God, I receive that. I declare right now. Begin to speak it out for your life. Those things that seem like they never change will change. Those things that seem to be permanent fixtures in weakness, in inabilities, in hindrances in my life, I say they will change. They will change. They will change. They will change. Financial things. Come on. Physical things. Issues around appetites and desires that you would try to govern. 
issues around your mind and weaknesses, emotional things, depression, whatever those weaknesses are, come on. Grab a hold of the promise. Lord, we will step into our future. We will step into the world that changes. Come on. You remember Mike Danforth always had us to take a step of faith and he literally had you stand up and say, take a step, take a step, take a step. Into, I choose today to take a step into my future, into change. We will not be anchored anymore by the sins of the past, the guilt of the past, the fear of the past, the jealousies of the past, the, uh, the chronologies of the past. Now, put your, put your hand on your head because there's so many things about your brains. There, I mean, there's a physical reality in your brain. The way that the uh, electrons shoot, the way that your mind works, the way that chemicals are released, they create patterns in your life. I speak this to my mind. I speak this to my physical brain. I say in the name of Jesus, be disposed to change. I say that the way that I think will change. The way that I feel will change. The patterns of the past, the release of endorphins, the release of all the chemical agents that make for desire, that make for emotion, that make for inhibitions, that make for fear. All of these things will come under the dominion of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll go up. Well, you know, that, that, that's a very appropriate word for Lynn and I, change. I couldn't help but start laughing when he says, you know, there's going to be change because our geography has literally changed because we've just bought a house in Spruce Grove, my wife and I. So, so that, that prophecy has already come to pass for us. But, but you know, over Christmas, uh, actually in, in, um, in West Bank where we lived, uh, our pastor there had a word and, and I had never really heard a particular word that we hear literally every year, the Christmas story and uh, instead of reading it out you guys all know it probably really well in Luke, it talks about the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds out in the fields and what were the shepherds doing? Tending their flocks. Now, do you think they did that before or was that something that they just all of a sudden decided to go out in the field that day? That was their job. That was their whole life. It was their career. Day in, day out, day in, day out, taking care of sheep, living creatures. And they would go every day faithfully. And why did they have to go and take care of the sheep? To protect them, to feed them, to lead them to other places, other pastures. That was their place, their position. And all of a sudden... An angel appears to them and blows their mind. And he says, listen, guys, he says, behold, there's, there's the Savior of Israel has been born in, in Bethlehem. It doesn't really tell us exactly the location, but they didn't have vehicles back in those days. They had to walk. And he says, this is where you're going to find Jesus wrapped in a manger and swaddling clothes in a, in a manger in a little shed in Bethlehem. And he says, you got to go see him. You got to go find him. 
Now, and then all of a sudden, um, it says a, a myriad of angels appears and starts glorifying God. Now, picture yourself in that position as a shepherd. Doing your job, like, and this is very much what was just shared. All of a sudden, doing your, your job, but your geography literally changes because of one word of an angel. And he says, you got to go and see the Savior. And then the angels disappear. Now, now the, the, the shepherds have a real dilemma here. Who's going to take care of the sheep? Did you ever think of that? I never really thought of that. He says, what about all the sheep? And he says, you got to leave where you are. you got to leave what your duties are, your job. And you got to go over here because it's more important. And, and I can, I mean, it doesn't tell us, but I can just picture and imagine the shepherds must have talked about it. Who's going to take care of the sheep? How, you know, like we have duties, we have responsibilities. What's going to happen? But yet, but yet there's, there's a decree from the Lord that comes and changes our geography, changes our direction in an instant. And we have a question, we have, we have a dilemma here. What are we going to do with the sheep? What are we going to do with our day-to-day things? And my wife and I, uh, this is what we're chuckling, literally, we're talking like a month ago, this is what the Lord told us to do. And we're saying, but we, you have all these buts. But what about this? What about that? And he says, never mind the sheep. I'll watch the sheep for you. I'll take care of, of what these things are. Right now, the job is this. And to go and follow. Right? And, you know, this is, what, this is a cop out what we tend to do. Is we say, well, if an angel and a myriad of angels appears to us, we're going to, well, certainly we'll listen. Absolutely, we're going to follow. Because, I mean, what sign from God? Just show us an angel, Lord. But yet, you know what? Jesus gave us something far greater than an angel called the Holy Spirit that leads us every day inside, who lives in us, and we're to listen. So I, I sense this year a change of, of geography and a change. All we have to do is be obedient to the Holy Spirit, what He says. And the Holy Spirit will take care of that which is, which is um, already held to our account, that, that which is our responsibility. But do we trust the Lord to take care of our sheep? Can we, take, can we trust the Lord to take care of our sheep? And your sheep may be your family, your home, your job. It may be, he may tell you to go somewhere to Timbuktu or somewhere way out in Spruce Grove, somewhere like this. And, and you say, but God, what about, what about our, our, our sheep in, in, in uh, Kelowna? Who's going to do that? And he says, never mind. Will you obey? So are we going to obey this year? Amen? And allow, allow the, the, the Spirit of the Lord to lead us to these places that he's called us to. Amen? So we're, we're, we're just excited that the fact that he's called us here for this time. And you know what? It says afterwards, the shepherds, it says they went back to their sheep. But let's listen to the Lord. So as, as God would have it, the Lord sent an angel to Lynn. Lynn got a visitation from an angel that said, we need to sell our house and move to Spruce Grove. And it just happened to be Kim. Then a host of angels said, hey, man, that's a great idea. Right? Everybody in the room. 
<laughs> yeah, we agree with that. Yeah. Praise God. But let me read this parable. And I'll, I'll take a, off this. It's a parable from, uh, it's called the parable of the talents. Maybe you've heard of it. Matthew 25. It says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. Uh, one of the things that's happened here in the last week even is these words have really been strong on my heart. For the kingdom of heaven is like. For the kingdom of God is like. I feel that we are moving steadily into a manifestation of the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is represented through various ideas, but it is an entity. It is a system. It is a government. It is an order that God is bringing to bear on the earth that has with it certain pillars of truth on which it is based. And those pillars of truth have their manifestation and their origin in who God is. God's kingdom is ordered not by laws that are external, but by the nature of who God is. The laws that govern his kingdom are derived from the way he thinks. And that's why it's so critical that what we're looking for in our journey as Christians is God align me. I want to think like you think, because ultimately when we, we leave this earth, right, we are going to spend eternity with him and we're not going to be playing harps, eating Philadelphia cheese on clouds. We are going to be ruling and reigning. Now, how many of you think God has a criteria based on who he's going to let rule and reign? Does everybody get the same? No. Everybody does not get the same. Communism is not kingdom. God is a respecter of persons in that sense. Not a respecter of persons that if you're poor or rich or if you're male or female or if you're tall or short. He's not a respecter. But he is a respecter of persons in terms of have you allowed your being to be conformed to his being? And, uh, and so there's actually, uh, there's actually a limit to what you're actually going to receive when you step over. We're not all going to become like God. God is eternal. You know, we are going to be able to interface, participate in who he is on a quantum level higher than what we have here. But, but there are still limits in terms of the individual because God will always be God. Right now in heaven, God is God and the angels are not God. There is an order. There is a hierarchy. Get it in your hearts and minds. The kingdom of God includes a hierarchy. Hierarchies are not bad. They're bad when they're used by evil men to create evil and other systems that are not in accordance with the kingdom of God, but they are part and parcel of the kingdom of God. God is the one that makes one to differ from another. This is from heaven, and this is good. Amen? So the question is then, well... Um, Evidently, my, my role in the, in the future is not, is not uh, cemented. It's not uh, unmovable, unfixable, according to this parable. But the kingdom of heaven is beginning to emerge in a way I've never seen it before. And this particular parable is one of those truths that gives us a clue as to what your life is about. Okay? Uh, and I just pray right now. Father... May this be a new season for us as we see anew the principles of the kingdom of God that aren't just for, uh, to give us a lifestyle here, but they're for eternity. So let me continue reading.
Try not to be distracted by these beautiful words. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. All right. So the kingdom of heaven in our midst is God calling his servants and delivering his goods to us. All right. That's what happened. When you become born again, you become part of his people. You become one of his and he gives you something. Not only does he give you eternal life and a, you know, you're born again by the seed of the word of God that begins to transform your inner nature, but there's a destiny, there's a function, there's a gifting, there's a grace that manifests in your life that causes you to be able to do or not do certain things. So, um, these, so he gave these things and to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. Does that seem fundamentally unfair? Okay, it may, but again, it's one of those things. God makes us to differ. All right? Let me, let me just pause there for a second. I was talking to somebody here recently, and, and sometimes we get the idea that because I'm doing the speaking, therefore this word is not for me. I want to tell you that this is the hardest word I've ever had to deal with, and it's not, I'm just not dealing with it in a, in a momentary thing. I've been dealing with it for 25 years. 25 years. Because uh, there's something in my nature that hates to be second. Anybody competitive here? Right? Hates to be second. I like to win, I like to be first. When I was a young kid, my mom and dad, for some reason, decided that it was too much work to put me to bed before my older brother. And so, uh, because I resisted that notion, because we should be the same. After all, there's only two years between us. <laughs> so I always went to bed the same time as my older brother. And uh, I remember running into a family where the older brother, also two years older than the second brother, went to, he stayed up an hour later than the other brother. And I thought, that would just kill me. That would absolutely kill me. And I remember once we went and visited some cousins, and they let my older brother stay up, the aunts and uncles, not knowing the proper system. <laughs> they let my older brother stay up longer than me, and it killed me. So finding my place in the middle as a middle child has not been easy for me. Finding my place in the kingdom of God has not been easy for me, and I'm still finding and adjusting to my place. And, and I have no problem with those who have less gifting than me. I have no problem with those who have less authority than me. I always struggle with people who seem to have more, because then I want to know, why do they have more than me? Immediately, maybe it doesn't strike you as inequitable, but it strikes me as unfair, not the notion of it, because I'm fine with it so long as I'm the one that has more. And I think we tend to be that way, you know, even if we're gracious, even if we tend towards fairness, right? We tend to not like it when things don't work out in our favor. And some of the parables reflect that sentiment. So, um, you know, like the ones with the guys that Jesus hired or in the parable of the servant, uh, the, the servants that were hired throughout the day, and they were all paid the same at the end of the day, even though some worked more. It just galled those that worked more. Wow. 
why, why is Jesus sharing these things? Because there's something in human nature that is contrary to his way of thinking. And there's something in the way God is that must erode the way we are, and that's the bringing into alignment. And I'll just say this, that when I preach this, I'm not preaching it to you as, hey, you guys do this because I've done it perfectly. On the contrary, I presently struggle with some of the same things, and I know that I struggle. And my boldness to say these things is not because I have fulfilled them, because I, but because I am convinced that they are true. I am convinced that they are true. That's why I can speak them boldly. That's what it means to be an oracle of God. You know, Second Peter, it says, when one speaks, he should speak as the oracle of God. I'm here not representing my journey. I'm here representing what God is saying to his people. So please don't mistake me as being separate from you because I am the one that is first victimized by the word of God before I get the pleasure of victimizing others. And again, we embrace it because it's true, not because it makes us feel good. Amen? So, <sighs> Okay, so he gave these things and immediately went on a journey. Went back to heaven, apparently. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. Another thing about the kingdom of God, God is good about increase. He's fine with increase. He's a capitalist. You know, God is okay with, you know, bringing harvest. The idea of increase, harvest, uh, things getting more, you getting raises, you getting more than you had before. This is God's idea. God is not against that. Anyway, I don't want to get too political. I don't say anything about cap and trades or carbon taxes here. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them, and he got, okay, likewise he who had received two gained more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground, and it hid his Lord's money. After uh, a, a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. And the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And let me just pause right there. The objective and the point of this is that authority to rule with Jesus will hinge upon faithfulness. It will hinge upon the faithfulness of, uh, that you exhibited around what you were given. Not the faithfulness that somebody else exhibited, but the faithfulness you exhibited. And your, I mean, think about it for a second. Your sphere of authority for eternity, for eternity, for eternity will hinge upon what you do now. Wow. Have you ever felt like, uh, you know, some people have more than you. Well, that guy's got a bigger house than me. That guy's got a bigger intellect than me. Where's Perry? You know, that guy's got more talent than me. That guy's got more height than me. That guy's got more this and more hair than me. You know, somebody's always got more of something than everybody else. It doesn't matter. But your eternity is in your own hands. And we need to get adjusted to the idea that this thing that we're do that's happening here is God is challenging us in the area of character, uh, which, which, which is, comes out of faithfulness. 
is in order that we might participate in the kingdom of God, not only now, but for eternity. You need to see this life as a direct continuum. It's not like when you, when you die, all of a sudden, everything's going to be better. Everything will be much better, but it even says, right, he's going to wipe tears from your eyes. So there's going to be some weeping going on. Uh, not, I'm not talking about, you know, tears of joy. I'm talking about tears of, what? I could have done that with my life? Oh, yeah. So anyway, we're getting to the point here. Um, so the one who uh, received two talents uh, came and said, Look, you delivered me two talents. I gained two more besides them. His Lord said, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord, of your Lord. And he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you had not sown, gathering where you had not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. But look, there you have what is yours. And his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I do not scatter seed. You ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own interest. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. And for to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now this is one of several parables along this pattern that have been given. In this case, there's, you know, 10, 2, and 1, or, and there was one that's 10, 5, and 1, uh, and they symbolize different things. Now, uh, I'm trying to, trying to think how, how much I should, how far I should go with this. Despite the fact, when the servant came, the one who didn't do anything he was misinformed about the master. He was misinformed. Because he said, in one of the other talents, he said, I knew you were a hard man. So he, listen to the, 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 the things that he says. Lord, I knew you were a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid. There are people who keep their distance from God because they're afraid. They're afraid. And what's wrong with the base of their fear is they believe God to be something other than He is. If you will have it, the reason we believe God to be something other than He is is because we believe usually that God is like ourself some version of us. So however you think, this is the root of self-righteousness. It is, it is, if I were God, this is the way I would be, and therefore, I believe that's how God is. Your knowledge of God, your present understanding of God, who you believe to God to be, is inside of your being, and it's somewhat related to who you are. And so when this guy was saying, listen, I, I, I believe that you are you are like this, uh, 
The master in the parable doesn't even question, doesn't even argue about that because it's kind of too late. Now, what God wants to do is remove whatever fear that is from our lives that keeps us of overvising. You may think, well, yeah, but I'm more like the 10-talent person. I'm more like the 5-talent person or the 2-talent person, and I'm, I'm using my, what I have to the optimum, and, and that may be. And hopefully that is increasingly the case, but what the Lord is saying is, is, is there... Is there more you can extract from that? Are you really? And what is the evidence that that's happening from your life? Now, I believe that what I believe about God, truly believe in my heart of hearts about who God is determines, determines the course of my life. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I can feel the, this. it's like the sword of the Spirit penetrating in a deep place. You know, sometimes when we talk about familiar parables, our minds go to the places they've always gone. And we sort of, oh, yeah, I know that. And, but I, I feel the Spirit of God trying to penetrate into our hearts in a deeper way right now to say, listen, there are things in the way that you think that can be shifted, that can be shifted today, and ultimately will determine whether you bury your talent, or you use it. So, Father, I pray right now, I pray right now that, that Lord, uh, that shift would take place in our minds. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, we can't do this without you. We can't do it. The, the Word says that you promised to come and uh, you would take of Jesus and give it to us. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would make these things clear to us. Bring an alignment to the way that we think. Now, as a sidebar to this, I wanted to share something else that's, that's related. Man, I, I feel a lot of spiritual warfare around that issue. Can you, can you feel that? Yeah. What do you think that is? What, what do you think that is? Father, what is that? I don't know what that, that is. I, I don't know if it's a kickback from, you know, that, that consternation when the Word of God is confronting us. Uh, some, some nodding. Uh, you know, Father, in Jesus, I don't want to go, I don't want to go on to the next point. I feel, I feel pulled to, to stick here for a minute. Father, we just ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that uh, we want to be on the right side of these things. We don't want to just think we're on the right side of this because I'm sure that that guy who was burying his talents thought this is the right thing. You know, this way I don't have to, I want to avo avoid all ridicule. I'll never look bad. I'll, you know, I'll never, I can't fail this way. I can't do it wrong. I, uh, you know, this, this way I, I preserve, I preserve what has been given me, except you don't. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, what is the root of the fear in our lives that causes us to be unable to venture, unable to risk? God, what is it that we are preserving? What is it we're protecting 
God, that, any, that keeps us from, from taking that step of faith. Even today, when we we're talking about these changes this year, if the changes do not happen in some lives, it will because, be because fear has immobilized us from laying hold of the Word of God, laying hold of those things that the Word can change. <sighs> let, me, uh, let me shift this in terms of um, some of the ways that we think. You know, I, I love my wife, and we don't think the same. And I believe that largely she's wrong. I have to believe that. Otherwise, I would just change my way of thinking, right? You believe you're right. If you thought wrong, if you thought you thought wrong, you would change that. Because you've changed your thoughts before. Every person in this room thinks that they think the right ways. Okay? Uh, we do. So, you know, you can pretend that's not the truth. But the fact is, if you were convinced that it was otherwise, you would change. You would think differently. So you hold to a certain mindset because you believe it to be true. What we don't realize sometimes is where those mindsets originate from, what they are actually rooted in. And what they're actually rooted in is, is identity. They're rooted in the identity, and that identity is who you are and who you are according to not just God's intention in your life and the work he's done in you, but all the bad things all, all along the way, all the bad parenting, all the good parenting, all the, all the control, all the witchcraft, all, all that stuff has had a part in creating your identity. And God is, is trying to actually shift your identity uh, so, that, so that you're living fully out of the identity that he's wanting to give you. And that's, that's the journey. So um, I, was, I started to write an article the other day because if there's one area that I'm most uncomfortable with, it's, uh, it's my attitude when I drive. I don't know if anybody's driven with me. I, I tend to be a little bit critical of other drivers. When you are critical of other drivers, it's because you believe you know how to do it right. And you know what? You might. You might do it right. And, but it's, it's not an issue of right and wrong, really. It's an issue of the intolerance of the mistakes that others make. Well, one of the things I do as a driver is I, I, I keep a, a running tally in my mind. Not a literal one, but I, I have this general sense that others offend in driving patterns far off more often than I do. Except here's the injustice of the way I've judged this in my, in my heart, which you know, empowers the intolerance, is, is I tabulate other, the rest of the population as a whole and me as an individual. Do you know what I mean by that? It's like over the course of a, you know, a week, I see 12 bad drivers, 12 different people cut me off or going too slow or getting in the wrong lane and, you know, it's not singling and going on and, and it inconveniences me. That's 12 to 1 because, you know, there was that one time when I, yeah, I, I accidentally cut that guy off but what you don't realize, it's only 12 to 1 in your mind because you're tabulating. Your, and, of course, you say, well, yeah, but normally I don't do this. Normally I don't make that mistake. Well, you are assuming that normally they do. And you are grouping them as the whole rest of the population of the world versus your errors. How many gaffes are they going to make in the course of your lifetime 
versus how many gaffes are you going to make? You see the inequity in our judgment? That's the way we always judge because we have a vested interest in coming out ahead. Why? Because it's the way we think. Now, I didn't, I didn't actively say, I'm going to think this way. I didn't actively say, but I've realized this because I am, I am pursuing this. I'm, I'm trying to erode the foundations of this. I don't want to be intolerant. I don't want to be annoyed when I'm on the road. I don't want to be, you know, uh, driven. Not, not only there in that circumstance, but in any circumstance, I don't want to be. So what I'm, I'm after in my own life is, God, what are the things that contribute to the mindset? What is it that caused me to think this way? What is it about me that makes me feel superior enough to be critical and intolerant of the errors of others, even though I know I make those same errors myself? Now, there's lots of ways when I'm, in which I'm very magnanimous. And Wendy can tell you about those. This is not among them. Right? And that's, why, and that's why you don't want to be thinking all the time about the ways that you're magnanimous. That's great. Be magnanimous. Be gentle. Be gracious. Be, be forgiving. Be all of those things. But what you want to find out is where are the areas where you're intolerant? Well, why would I want to do that? I just feel bad about myself when I do that. Because when you go to the fridge, most of the fridge is going to be good. But when you open the door of the fridge and you smell something rotten in Denmark, you know, ah, uh, something is spoiling. You don't have to throw out everything that's in the fridge, but you will aggressively, women, right, won't, won't you? Like, what the heck is that? You're going to find that thing, and it, ooh, it's lasagna from three weeks ago. I forgot about it. And you're going to dump it out. Why? Because this is spoiling everything. You don't sit there and say, well, but the milk is good. There's great milk in there. Don't be so hard on the fridge. <laughs> right? It, it, it's, not about, we're not, it's not about condemning the whole fridge here now. And this is what we do, though, in the personal of our lives. God is saying, listen, listen. Yeah, you did good there. You did good there. Well, good on you. You're great. But there's something rotting inside of you. It's coming out of an identity, out of who you are. It manifests in intolerance. It manifests in overflows of wickedness. It manifests in this and this and this and this. And what I want to do is I want to come in and change that. Are you, can you be confident in my love that I'm not going to throw out the whole fridge, that I'm just going to reach in and grab that rotten thing because that rotten thing is spoiling your aroma? I don't want, I want you to be a sweet-smelling savor. Actually, biblically, we're meant to be a stench of death as well. <laughs> but we're not talking about the stench of death. You know. Stench of death is what others are smelling about themselves when they are in our, our presence. You know that scripture? If, if you don't know the Bible, this makes no sense. So, this guy who I identify with. I like to say I'm the five guy or the two guy or the ten guy or the five, you know, whatever. But uh, the truth is there's always a measure of this in our life where there's fear. There's something that keeps us from looking more closely 
from venturing. And, uh, and I believe that a part of the message of grace is God is saying, listen, there's, there's a source of power in you that, can, that is way beyond what you can imagine. This morning, uh, yesterday, I was, I had been wanting to watch this series, and it was a series, Cam, what's the name of that series again? I keep forgetting the name. The training one, the Green Beret, is it? Selection. Selection. There's a new series called Selections. 30 civilians who go into this training for 30 days with these Green Beret, Rangers, Special Ops guys. And uh, the, the, the training is absolutely brutal. I'm glad I'm 55. By the way, I'm 55 years old today. I'm glad I'm 55 and, you know, will never have to be conscripted into somebody's army. Uh, but uh, the, the, the thing that we're, the exercise, they went on the first day from 4 a.m. in the morning, I think, till after midnight. And at midnight, they were still, I mean, they were spraying them with water. They were crawling in the mud. They were doing sit-ups and push-ups. And, and, uh, and you know, they, it, it was unbelievable the things they were doing this one day. But this is what, this is what the trainers started to say to the, in their interviews. They're saying, listen. He said, there are barriers that people have that aren't real. And what we're trying to do is help them discover that those barriers are only exist in their mind. There are barriers in them. At one of the training, these guys, I think it was the third day, they sat down and they started doing sit-ups. And I'm thinking, oh, man, they're going to make them do a bunch of sit-ups. Well, they're counting, right? And some guys are dying and throwing up and all kinds of things. And they're up to 100 and like 100 sit-ups, and they haven't even had a break. I mean, they're just going sit-up after sit-up. And then they're up to 200. And then they're up to 250. I'm thinking 300, 350. Holy. 400, 500, 600, 700. Then they flash over to the trainer. And he's there. And I mean, he's like, sorry, I can't even do a good one. But he's going like crazy. He's, he's, he's going, no hesitation. He's at 600, 700. He's just 800, 900, 1,000, 1,000 sit-ups. It took an hour or more. And that was only one of the things they did during a 16-hour training period, the first or the third day of 30 days. And the guy said, and this is, a, this is the picture, there is something, a power at work within us that is beyond. And once those, those thresholds of pain break in your mind, once all of the things you need for comfort and for satisfaction, once those things break in your life, they're broken forever. They're broken forever. And these guys are living examples of that. And I felt, when I watch these shows, I feel like God is saying, listen, Mark, there is something that has been provided in the knowledge of Jesus Christ that's inside of you. Once you start to fully tap into that, you're tapping into it somewhat. 
But once you, once you start drawing from that place fully, there are no limits. There are no barriers. And as the guys are being interviewed, he says, he said, we're, not, we're not against these guys. We're actually for them. We drive them like crazy. But it's because we want them to cross over. Now, we know in advance some will not be able to make it. They are not strong enough emotionally. They are, they get, they're not strong enough in their minds to, to push through. But the ones that will, will experience this. And why this is so exciting to me is I believe that in the kingdom of God, this is the same message that God is trying to give us. So listen, there's something that is to be, can be had, can be apprehended by an individual. And I believe it can be apprehended by a group of people. That we can cross over into accessing something of the knowledge and the presence of God where it's no longer about us where it's no longer about our successes or our failures, that it is, it is the grace of God at work in us. And the victories come because we have tapped into the grace fully. Now, I want to read one last scripture. I, I pulled it up here. There's two of them very much like it in uh, Romans and here's the one, because we always, we always talk about law and grace, and people think of law and grace in, in very much the wrong way. But this is what he says, Romans, Paul's writings, verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. I won't go into this too much. I've shared about this before, but this part here. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. You know, when you do a pregnancy test, all of a sudden that little strip turns blue. Any, any ladies ever done a pregnancy test here? Anybody seen a blue strip? Uh, not many nodding. Okay. Say, so what happens is there's something... The, 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 the white strip never made that happen. The white strip revealed that a certain chemical was, was, was present. The law reveals something that's present. He said, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law entered in order to make clear, to manifest that something was at work that was not from above. The message of grace is not all. Oh, once you have grace, you can you can be excused from all the fact that you you know all the sin. No, no, no. It overcomes sin. It overcomes sin. The grace of God endures forever, like the love of God. It is the power of God. It is the ability to be everything you need to be. And so, we're saying to God, God, I want, I want some of that. The last few weeks of this year, more than ever in my life, I, I have, I feel like God is holding up a mirror to me, and I've been dying, dying, uh, 
in the last few weeks. But it, it's, it's so profound, I don't even know how to explain it. I haven't even said anything to Wendy about it. Because it's just so deep what God is trying to do. And he's trying to get me to shift because I believe this year is a new year. I believe that the amount of grace that you have tapped into was gonna, is going to become evident in a way it was not evident in the days before. That this year is a year that we're in all the training, all the dying. I mean, there's still going to be training and dying as you go along. It's like when D-Day came, you know, that major force was waiting and ready. But they still did training after that. But that D-Day force that began to move into Normandy, they were ready now for battle. No more training. Now is battle. Now is the real stuff. I believe that we are entering into a time of the clash of ideas, uh, the clash of kingdoms, uh, the establishment of the kingdom of God this year. And it's going to require every bit of grace that we can get our hands on. So... It's not too late. I'm still leaning into God. I'm saying, God, what, what do you want to, what do you want to do with me? I mean, I don't feel condemned about that I'm an intolerant driver, but I still want. What is that? Why is that there? What is? What do I need to do to get to be get free from that? So, Father, I just want to, we want to come before you today. Maybe others are very gracious drivers, and that's not the issue. But, Lord, we want you and us to be able to open the door of our, the fridge of our lives and to see where the rod is. Because you have an answer. You have a plan. You have a desire to change us. We believe your love today. You brought us in for such a time as this to rule. Hmm. So just in your own heart, just take a few seconds to just say, okay, God, that thing that you're after. Most likely it's something your your husband and wife has mentioned a few times. Your kids know about it. Hmm. Amen. Just one last few words in closing. It was uh, when I'm watching the show and the one sergeant or whatever he was that was over the training. He said, "He said, yeah, we're we're trying to weed out the ones that we know aren't going to make it." He said, "But you know, we're not against them. It's not personal. We just know they can't do it." And uh, so when they're being harsh, they don't dislike anybody. And after the conversations they had, it's a television show, it's not the real military. So afterwards, they're like, you know, 
grab a hold, you know, you're quitting, and that's, you know, but realize you can build on this. You can build on this. Even the ones that couldn't make that cut, he said, you can build on this. You've discovered something here. You can take it further in the rest of your life. And it was such a refreshing glimpse of how we're meant to be in the kingdom of God as we're calling people up to a level of transformation they've never felt before. It's because there is promise, not because you're bad. Because there's hope. Because there's more. And God wants you to have it. Amen.